I'm Jennifer Nielsen, and this is Let It Glow, Episode 22, Prison Walls. Ready, set, glow. Welcome to the Let It Glow podcast, a happy place where you'll learn how to let your soul shine and discover new ways to design your best life. I'm your host, Jennifer Nielsen. ladies, and welcome to another episode of Let It Glow. Let me just give you a heads up that today's episode is going to be unlike anything I've done before. It's going to be a little bit heavy, and we're going to be going into something difficult, but the message is so powerful I knew I had to share. So as you're aware, I just made it through a very grueling trial where my uncle was convicted for 405 years for acts of child abuse against me and other victims. This topic has become somewhat of my life's mission to share all the angles and effects of sexual abuse. I was a victim. I know children very near and dear to me who've been victims of sexual abuse. My oldest son, Hayden, was a witness in a trial when he stumbled upon a 14-year-old girl at McDonald's when he was just 15 years old. She'd been held hostage by her father who'd been sexually abusing her. I've seen the aftermath of family members who have been left behind by the perpetrators. And I have a very close family member who was falsely accused of sexually abusing a child. So to say that I have been personally affected and that I've experienced all angles of sexual abuse would be an understatement. But what I wasn't prepared for was the angle that we are going to be discussing today. I have two guests with me who are going to share their experiences serving in the prison with sex offenders. And as it turns out, I still had some learning to do because my husband is one of the guests on today's show. So he spends every Tuesday night and a few Sundays a month teaching and interacting with men who are convicted sex offenders. So without further ado, let me introduce my guests, Chris and Talon. You can go first, Chris. Yeah, my name is Chris Smith, and I have been for about two years now working at the Iman Complex in Florence as a prison minister. And um, to say the least, it's been one of those life-changing um, or redefining moments in my life. Okay, thank you. Talon? My name's Talon Nielsen, and I've been serving with Chris out at the Iman Complex for almost a year now. And it has been a life-changing and remarkable experience to be able to be out there with those men. And uh, it's just been a wonderful experience. So let me just clarify, if you're not familiar, we're members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and we're giving callings in church. And it's optional whether you take the calling. You can say yes or no. And so when Talon was, was brought in, and I was actually part of this conversation um, about serving out at the prison, it took us by surprise, <laughs> for sure. In fact, he didn't say yes right away. We decided to take a couple of days to really think about it because the probability that my uncle would end up at that prison was very high. And as we thought about it, it just became very clear to us that this was something that he needed to do. And so he said yes. And so that's been a little over a year ago. Yeah, I remember when they extended the call to both of us, but it was for me. 
how uh, it was really, I don't know how to express other than I was nervous, scared, but also very intrigued about having an experience. Not too many people get to walk through those prison walls and um, express and teach and learn from these men that have been cast aside and, and put in, in prison for some of the worst crimes you could possibly be convicted of. So, Chris, tell me a little bit about this experience for you and kind of what it's taught you and how it's you know, evolved over the last couple of years. So I think, I think that's, a, that's, that's, that's a wonderful question to ask because as I reflect and contemplate the, the two years of service, I remember much like you and Talon receiving the calling, um, my wife and I went over to the state president and to high counselor and they gave us the opportunity or, or extended the opportunity for this. And I remember very distinctly thinking in my mind um, that I wasn't even sure how to feel. Like I didn't, I didn't, I have no experience with prisoners with, um, have I done bad things in my life? Yeah, I've done a lot of bad things and a lot of dumb things in my life, but, but nothing that I per se would quantify me spending time in prison. And so I, I with that in mind, I began the journey. And, and the interesting thing that I, you know, when you receive a, an opportunity like this, you often think that, that I'm going to go out there and I'm going to really help these guys and I'm really going to, I'm really going to change their lives. And little did I know that they changed my life and have caused me to see through a, a paradigm or a different pair of glasses that, quite frankly, I didn't know one could see through. And, and I hope tonight we can talk about some of the things that, that, that represent that paradigm, some of the things that have caused me to become uh, less judgmental than I've ever been in my life, to have compassion and understanding like I've never, ever known before. Um, some of the godly traits of, of Jesus Christ, I have seen um, strengthened within myself as a result of these men and and the interaction and the experiences that we've shared together. And that's what's so interesting to be in my shoes and to have my <clears throat> husband going out to the prison. I, it, it just question you have to question where you're at in this whole process because it's easy to to cast judgment. But if one thing that I've learned through this whole process, and this is where I really want to be sensitive to those of you who have been victims of sexual abuse, that this in no way minimizes the pain or the heartache that is caused because of their choices. But it's also understanding that in all of this, there's always a choice to heal, to forgive, to move forward, and to become a better person. And that isn't just for the victim, that's also for the perpetrator. And when I was able just to, to give turn this over to a higher power, to say, I don't want to carry this load anymore, it freed me. And to listen to some of the experiences that Talon shares with me, I understand that you're never so far gone or lost that you can't have redemption in your life. And if that redemption is available to those men who've done, again, some of the worst things that you could do as a human being to another human being. That in my own life, some of the things that I do, some of the mistakes that I make that I've beat myself up over, we're all free and have that opportunity to be forgiven, to heal, to move forward, and to progress. And so, Talon, I just wanted to hear from you a little bit how 
what, how this experience has changed you and molded you, kind of what you talked about in the beginning. Well, what I think is really interesting is it was an incredible blessing to be able to be part of the prison ministry, but also see the other side of it where being married to a, a victim and seeing her uncle go through the process and actually sharing some of these experiences with the men in, in the unit where they were very concerned over you and were worried about you. And when they heard about the uncle being sentenced, they were worried about where he was going to be. Um, just knowing me and through me, they loved and supported you. And um, it's it, it was just it, the experience that I have had being in the prison, seeing these men after they've been committed and working with them. And then on the flip side, seeing an uncle going through the same process, but him, you know, not actually being in a position or a place where it's just a, it's just been a crazy experience, and I know I'm not explaining it right, but um, it has been a unique situation for me, being able to be on both sides of the fence on it, and uh, kind of hard to explain, but some deep feelings that I've had, um, seeing the torment that the victim has gone through, and seeing, you know, still sharpening, still seeing the other end where you come out of it. And um, I don't know. It's just been, it's been a really remarkable experience for me. You know, maybe I can add another thought about that. You know, in your initial question to me, I think it's interesting that, you know, one of the things that I always say, and it's just become part of my mantra for life is that we're all victims. And, and we learn very profoundly from the savior himself that we will all suffer trial and tribulation. He doesn't say, if you receive trials and tribulation in your life, um, he says, when you do. And the reality is, is that all of us will find ourselves in a place, whether it's, whether it's uh, sexual crimes against us, whether it's the sufferings that this world will deal out, no one is exempt. And as I look in the faces of these men and I see, I see some who have um, remorse written on their countenance, others are still a bit in denial or maybe haven't accepted full responsibility for the things they've done. But but it's interesting to know that that we all stand the same before this very God and the Savior of the world. And, and another thing that I think is really an interesting concept, I'm not sure if I articulate this properly, but but I don't know that God and, and that the Savior will look upon sin with different degrees. I think in his mind, sin is sin. And I don't mean to minimize what's happened to someone uh, that, that it may be more profoundly, there's more suffering or this or that. But, but I, I think that when it comes right down to it, the same atonement that we seek, which cleanses and heals and makes man whole, man and woman whole, um, it doesn't matter what it is that we've done when we seek to become whole before the Savior. We have to accept responsibility, whatever that thing is. And, and I think that's an interesting concept that I have learned out at the prison is that, that really I don't know that there is a degree when it comes to sin. Anything that separates me from the Savior, anything that draws me away from Him and, and takes the Spirit away from me in my life 
is sin. And so it's interesting to kind of, you know, observe it that way. Well, I think what you're saying is something that I've thought a lot about, because when you take yourself out as judge and jury, it, we don't have to worry about how it's all going to work out because it's not my business what happens to those prisoners or even to my husband or to anyone, but it's my business is what I do and how I handle it and how I respond and how I am able to forgive and to move forward. And so it's just, it's such a better place to be. I don't think I could have been in a position maybe 10 years ago to be okay with my husband doing what he's doing, but because I'm in the place that I'm at... I, it, it's, I've been able to learn from it, but I don't want to make those of you wrong that might be suffering in a place where this would be incomprehensible for you if you're in my situation to have your spouse working with the very type of men that have, have inflicted pain on you. So I think I just go back to there's no right or wrong way to, to handle any of this, but ultimately the ability to forgive and to move forward is the freedom that you give yourself. And these men that are in prison, and that was my next question, so you kind of jumped the gun here, so I'll ask Talon, is the difference between those who are contrite and remorseful versus the men who are not. Because in our own lives, again, there's different levels, and like you talked a little bit about the degrees of the mistakes or the sins that we, that we, that we make, but ultimately, at whatever, whatever that is in our life, the level that we have to be remorseful and contrite and humble in learning and progressing and asking for forgiveness is the degree that we can be happy and be more connected to our Savior. And so it's the same principle applies really to all of us, regardless of what, we, what we've done. But Talon, kind of give me some of your experiences. If you want to talk about maybe you've shared some really cool like personal experiences about some of these men that have become more than just people that you see every Tuesday night, but you would call them your friends, right? You know, it, I, I remember it takes us about 45 minutes to an hour to drive out there. And so Chris and I have an opportunity to share our feelings. And I remember the first trip we, we took out together, Chris mentioned a man, um, name, his name is Gabe, and he said that he could see him being friends with Gabe, you know, hanging out with Gabe if he wasn't in prison. And... Um, uh, so I was anxious to meet Gabe when I got in there and I met him and, and, and he, and Chris was spot on, uh, just great personality, um, very knowledgeable in the scriptures, um, very caring individual. But I think what's, what's probably so warming about Gabe is, is you can tell by the way he interacts and the way he communicates, that he is very remorseful uh, over the things that he has done that, that has put him in a situation where he's going to spend the next 60 years in prison. Um, and this man's very knowledgeable of the Bible and scriptures, and you would say, hey, well, he knows better, but the reality is he's a human being, and and the things that he's done are devastating and horrible, but there's a man in there that's remorseful, but he's sweet, he's kind, and uh, engaging. And um, those are those are some of the things that you you recognize. Now, like we say, we don't we don't really know all these men and, and what they're all about. But when we're in there on Tuesday nights, 
spending a little over an hour, hour and a half with them, you can get a sense of of who like you're, the essence of who, they who are. you're dealing mm-hmm. with and who you're talking. There's there's definitely individuals in there that that don't interact much, and and um, you can tell that that maybe they're still holding on to something. But those who have let things, you know, let let things go and are moving towards a a place of repentance and forgiveness, you can see it, you can hear it. You can feel it. It's 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 uh it's it really is something that you can actually almost feel and touch. Okay, and that's something I kind of wanted to talk about. That's really interesting because all you know is what you you've seen during that time that you're there. But to kind of to go back a little bit, you've given me some of the background of some of these men. You've got elementary school teachers, concert pianists. Many of these men are fathers. I mean, these are men that outside of the prison had quote-unquote normal lives and here they are now in prison because of the choices that they've made that they've landed in this place but something that we did talk about before this interview began is many of us are living our lives and on the surface you don't really know what's going on with people underneath the surface and a lot of these men have been victims of of abuse themselves in fact I don't know what the, the statistics are but I at least from what you both have shared with me in the prison that a lot of these men were victims themselves. And so kind of understanding, like, I'm never going to pretend or try to wrap my brain around why people do this because I, I, I there's there's no way to make sense of it. And it's not really my place to have to figure it out. Well, you know, way. and Chris, I'll have Chris follow up on this one, but the reality is this. I'm not there to save these guys. They're not there to to save me or they're not there to tell me a story. All I'm there is to share our feelings and teachings of the Savior. And I'm not there to judge them. I'm not there to ridicule them. I'm there to just pass the good word to them. And that's the most important thing. And that's all we've, that's all we'll ever be asked to do on this earth is to love, support, and forgive. And, you know, if some of them stay in the background and don't interact with me very much, that's fine. At least they're there hearing, hearing a good message. What you know, you think? I, think, I think another thing, too, for me, when I, when I first started going to the prison, I made it a, you know, it's a matter of public knowledge. We could know what exactly they're there for. We could know exactly what they were convicted of. Um, in fact, some of the guys we work with at the prison, they'll be, they'll be the first ones to tell you all about why so-and-so is there. Um, and I made it very clear from day one that I didn't want to have any knowledge or any, any, I didn't want to know why anyone was there. And part of the reason I wanted to take on that approach is because in the end, it doesn't matter what they did. And, and I don't, I'm not dismissing the behavior and I'm not saying that there aren't victims and people who have suffered at their hand. But what I am saying is that my job and responsibility is to love and forgive no matter what. And so as I've done that, you know, there's clearly some of the guys will during during their um, as they expound and talk about some things and they and they get kind of vulnerable and they share. Sometimes they'll get into some details. But aside from that, I really don't know why many of the men are there. I know they're all sex offenders because we're in a level three prison where everyone there is a sex offender. But but I wanted to just share one thing that I wrote. And this is this is after I had been going to the prison for about 18 months. 
And I had some time to really process and understand what this experience had done to me. And I wrote just a small little entry in my journal that I just want to read real fast. It's not not super long, but I think this really helps me articulate um, what exactly the experience has done for me. I've come to find that if I want to meet God face to face, the closest that I will ever come on this planet is to look into the faces of my brothers and sisters, and especially my brothers and sisters who have been declared unworthy, unrighteous, unclean, unacceptable. It's not that I fa- it's not that I have found God there; it is that God has found me there. That is where my the realization and faith of the cleansing power of the atonement becomes absolute. There, where I expected to meet the worst of the worst, I met God instead. And and so to me, it's been an experience where okay, so yeah, I'm working with men that that have done really quite frankly heinous crimes. Um, but it isn't about that to me. It's about as I deal with them the way the best way I know how to through the Spirit and through the commandments and that which the Savior expects, I have come to know God out there. And I have come to have a better understanding of who He is and what He expects from His children, what He expects from us in, in, this, in this idea of, of forgiveness and acceptance no matter what. And, and it's interesting because I know that you can't really know the heart of a man. And, and as surely as I sit here and I say many of these men are my friends and that I would associate with them outside of prison, I still have to ask myself the question, would I let them babysit my brand new granddaughter? And that's when you get right down into the, into the heart of the matter and things. And the truth is, is that we can't know the heart of a man. We're not, we're not entitled to that. The only person who knows that is the Savior. And perhaps maybe just a glimpse of the fact that when we get to a place of pure love of Christ, perhaps that's what the Savior means when, when we can get to a place where through discernment and through the power of our Savior, we can know the heart of a man or the thoughts of a man. That's probably what we ought to be striving for. And so to me, there's, there's all these things that you experience when you're out there and you're, and you're having these discussions with them and you're trying to give them the same courtesy you'd give any other human being from the perspective of that which the Lord expects, which is not to judge and to, and to give, give them the benefit of the doubt in the sense that, that the love and compassion that, that the Savior would give. And you talked about in the very beginning, you talked about the paradigm shift. And I think that's is a lot like pertaining to that is this paradigm shift. And so, and going back to you talk, you know, we talk about forgiveness and I've done a whole entire podcast on forgiveness. You can go back and listen to that. But the interesting element about forgiveness is that you can forgive someone, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have them come spend the time with your family in your home or with your children. Or as parents, we still have to use discernment and and be smart about what we allow in our lives and what, you know, setting certain boundaries and to protect our children. But ultimately, the position that you're in is that's not going to be relevant. You're not probably going to be in that position where these, these you're going to have to decide whether or not you're going to allow these men in your home or not. But are you going to allow them into your hearts? Are you going to allow to see their, allow yourself to see their goodness? And which, I mean, I know with you, Town, we've talked about this. And Every time you come home from the prison, there's just, I feel like you be, become a better version of you. And I see a softness in you. And I was actually worried with you going out to the prison that this, because we've had to deal with a lot of really hard emotions and anger and sadness and 
despair and just a lot of emotions around this. And so my concern is that we would trigger some of that or it would, you, you know, it just, it was hard to say how this was going to pan out. I just, I just knew in my heart, and you knew in yours as well, that this is what you needed to do. And so where you're at right now, my uncle, after he was convicted, actually went to the Florence prison. But we're very grateful because there are two branches and he ended up in the Meadows branch and you're at the Post and Butte branch. And so had he been put in the branch where you're serving, you would have been released. And we were actually really worried about that because now that, you know, you've been in this calling for so long, I do see what it's taught you on a real level. Like we go to church and we talk about forgiveness or we talk about how Christ spent so much time with the sinners and we, we project that we would be that person that would be like Christ. Well, you're actually every week being challenged with that on a real in a real way. And I mean, for you, how has this changed your perspective on my uncle or has it working down there with these men? That that's the conundrum that I have thought about because being able to work work out there and be amongst these men you um you you have relationships with these guys as far as you know being out there and um you get to know them and they get to know you and and um they become your friends and um i think of your uncle and i you know i i i for a long time thought i i think I could be out there if he was out there. I don't know that he would be able to deal with me being out there, but I thought that I could possibly be able to be out there with him. Um, I don't, I, I don't think they'd ever let that happen. In fact, I know they would never let that happen, but you know, it's really interesting thinking about my life and being out there with those men and seeing they have physical prison walls around them. And I think about my life and how many times I've actually put up my own prison walls over my behavior or the decisions that I make or my belief system. And, you know, they have physical barriers. How many times have I put up these barriers in my way that I can't even see? And we, 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 we walk around and you stated something that, you know, you go to church and you hear, you know, we preach about Christ, we talk about Christ, but how many of us actually wouldn't take this opportunity to be amongst those who've been thrown out of society? And I mean, it's a scary thing, but actually it's been a wonderful blessing for me. And as you've heard Chris too explain and talk about it, it's an incredible experience. So one question I did want to ask, we've talked a lot about the atonement for in our lives and that it's, you know, it's available to all of us. Well, here you're on the front lines here. You're working with these men every week. What examples have you seen in lives of the men that you're working with, specifically where their lives have been helped or they've been able to better their lives within these confines of the prison walls through the atonement, through their own repentance process? You know, that's a good question. In fact, I know when I walk out of that prison, I'm always reflecting upon me and my life and what I can do better. But, um, cause I watch these men and how they're, how their lives are changing though. And they have a desire to change. There's a, there's a man in there. His name's Mercedes. And he's an older gentleman. I would say he's in his early seventies. And, uh, 
you know, just recently he told, he told us he's, uh, 30 or 60 days clean from smoking, you know, and, uh, he, he has a sense about him as far as a desire to help those and teach. He, he loves to teach and, uh, his, his, it seems like his calling in, in the prison, he, he's reaching out to the mentally ill. He, um, he does a lot of work with the mentally ill. In fact, I think that's one of the jobs he has inside the prison is he helps interact with those who have mental illness challenges, which he had or still has, but he's aware of it. And um, that's one of his jobs is to reach out and help those who have. In fact, uh, last Tuesday, there was a a, a, a a visitor. I wouldn't call him a visitor because he's a prisoner, but he came out Tuesday and he shared that he has known Mercedes for over 20 years and he was severe, he's severely mentally handicapped but through Mercedes love and 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 care he was able to come Tuesday night and participate in our in our uh, meeting it was awesome and that's something that kind of strikes me and kind of tugs on my heartstrings a little bit um and we did actually talk about this before the we, the interview started but a lot of these men that end up in these places you don't typically end up here if you haven't had experiences or suffered with mental illness or had something in your life that got you to this place. And I look at myself and how hard it's been to overcome what I've had to overcome, but I've had tools. I've had a support system. I don't have these kinds of addictions that they have. And so you look at these prisons as they're not rehabilitations. They're just holding places. But these, a lot of these men are choosing ways to rehabilitate and to work through and to become better, better men. Chris, what about you? Do you have any examples that you would like so, to share? So there's a man that I met when I first started going out to the prison. I, I met him the first Sunday. And the reason that I met, the reason that he stands out is that he was sort of the leader in the group. I mean, it was, it was, without question, he was sort of a spiritual leader and you could see it, you could feel it. And he had been in prison for at the time, 26 years on a 27 year sentence. And this particular gentleman, I actually know why he was in and he, he was in because he had committed murder. And I'm not sure why he was in our unit, but anyways, he was. And, um, so one, one particular Sunday he was, as he was approaching his release time, he, um, he got up and he began to bear his testimony and to share about his experience in prison. And, and I'll never forget this because it was so profoundly, um, it, it influenced me so profoundly as he, as he got up there, he began to share about how the first 13 years in prison, he didn't want to admit to the fact that, that, or take responsibility for what he had done. And, and then after that one day, he made a decision that he would, he would, that he wanted to, to, um, be forgiven and to to go through the process of being forgiven. And so he talked about this process of where he began to read the scriptures. And he said he began to, one by one, um, reconcile his sins before God. And he used the word altar. He said, I, 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 would, I would come up with these sins and I would place them on the altar before God. And he said, and I did this for another 13 years to the point where he was at at this time, which was 26 and a half years. And he said every week or every period of time, I don't know exactly what the period of time was, that he would reevaluate and reconcile those things that he had done and place them on the altar. And he said, 
After many, many years of doing this, he finally got to the place where he had to give up his feel-good sins, is what he called them. And he said, and so he began the process and, and to give those sins, the things that he needed to live with that made him feel comfortable and happy. And he said, once he had given all those things and placed them on the altar before the Lord, he said that he began to feel very vulnerable. And he began to feel a way that he had never felt before, a, a, a feeling of alone and a feeling of, 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 of being all alone. And he said, and after several months of this, and at this point he completely lost his composure and the tears streaming down his face, he looked to all of us in the room this day and he said, that's when I knew God. And to say that there are men in prison that um, that they're not trying or they're not seeking the same, the very thing that we seek in becoming whole before heaven and before our God um, was something that he described in a way. And, and I can't even begin to articulate or explain really how powerful that was. But to witness a man of 27 years in prison and his experience of, of going from a place of in denial and don't want to take responsibility to a place becoming completely clean and whole before God to where he knew God. And to me, I have met many men that have sought that same journey. And, and their acts are evidence of that as they, as they serve one another. You, we watch them hug one another as they show up on Tuesday nights, the brotherhood and the camaraderie that they experience. You can see, like I said, many of them are seeking the same thing that we're all seeking, which is the Lord and the Savior. And, you know, it's interesting when you look in their eyes and you see them, oftentimes I see myself. You both have said that. I don't know if you, in this interview particularly, but these men aren't that different than you and their life started out very similar in a lot of ways. And then where your lives have taken you, they just somewhere along the path, they took a different turn and it just took another turn and it just here they ended up. You know, and I, I guess I should take another 30 seconds and finish the story because I know this particular gentleman, he's out of prison now and he has been for about 18 months. You made the comment that you didn't think prison was really a place of rehabilitation. Well, I don't really think it is either, but, but this particular gentleman now has a job. He lives in society. He is seeking after being rebaptized into the church and, and seeking all the things that, that we would want. And so, so there are people that, that through the Savior and through that atonement become healed and become clean. And maybe that's the rehabilitation that he's experiencing. And recently I'd gotten a letter not from from another friend to us, but he just kind of talked about his life and how grateful he was for just the simple things that you and I enjoy every day. And he's actually succeeding now for the last year and a half in society. Wow. And it just goes back to that principle of choice, choosing how you handle the situation that you're in. And it sounded like with that man in particular, it was 13 years that he avoided dealing with what he, what, with what he needed to deal with. He avoided that that path and how different his it changed for him once he chose to do something different and to to work through what he needed to work through. One of my favorite quotes is, you are confined only by the walls you build yourself. And so as you're listening to this podcast, I mean, most of us can't imagine being in that position where we're going to be in prison. In fact, that the likelihood is very slim. But like what you're saying, Talon, I think it's important to really look at how we can find ourselves by our choices, by the way that we think, 
by the things that we do? How we can, are we confined by walls that we build ourselves? And I think many of us are. And Chris, what is your thought on that? I think that's a really interesting perspective. When you think about literal prison walls, how has this kind of played out in your life or has you been working with these men, that kind of concept? Well, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to, to hear Talon talk about that because, you know, we experience a lot of the same things when we're there and, and just to hear him sort of express that. When I look at that in my, in my way of, of seeing the world uh, through my perception, um, you know, one of the differences is, well, let me, let me say this. I think that one of the things that I've learned about in the two years that I've been out there is I have become very familiar and very, very um, in tune with the atonement, more so than I ever have in my life. And, you know, I, I say this to some people, and, and, and I, don't, I don't mean this to sound the wrong way, and I don't mean it to sound any way that, uh, but, but sometimes when, when I'm out at the prison, and I'm going to go ahead and call Tuesday night for my hour and a half at prison, my favorite hour and a half of the whole week. And the reason that is, is because I feel the spirit so strongly there that probably more so than any other place that I've ever gone in, in my life. And one might ask the question, even more so than in the temple sometimes. I'm not saying the temple is not a spiritual place, but, you know, I think it's interesting. One might ask the question, why is it that you feel the spirit there? And, and I think the reason why is because the walls that physically surround us, the walls that, that, that we often put up to protect ourselves, um, protect ourselves from being vulnerable to the world and to those around us, those, those walls are gone in the prison with these men. They've already been through probably the most howling, you know, howling experiences in their life where when you're, when you're convicted and you're brought before a jury and a judge and, and your victim and you can see the venom and the hate that they have for you, it's then publicly made known to everyone. So, so there's really no way for them to hide behind any of that. And so you probably, they get to a place where they're, where it's probably as vulnerable as you can get. And, and, and the way I see the world, to me, vulnerability is one of the most powerful, empowering things that there is because it's the birthplace of spirituality. It's the birthplace of connection. It's the birthplace of innovation. And so when I think about that, I often say to myself, why do I feel the spirit so much here? And that's why. Because they are, we get into some of the most vulnerable conversations that I wish that we could record and some, let people hear them because um, it, it would blow a lot of minds. Um, and so to me, you know, even, even the idea of, of embracing that atonement to heal and to fix and to make whole, you know, sometimes I feel that more so there than I do in other places within, you know, religion that we're supposed to be feeling that. In fact, on a Tuesday night, maybe there's more good religion and more more applying of that atonement going on than there is in other places where I'm supposed to feel that during the week. And so to me, that that has been something that has been pronounced loud and clear every time that I go there. Wow. And Talon said the same thing. It's just, he just, it's in all of his service, this has been his favorite um, calling that he's had. Right, yeah, Chris, Chris nailed it by saying what he said. I mean, think about it. We all have walls up in the prison. When you're in those, in, in Tuesday night, those walls are down. And What's the irony of that, it's you know? It's free flowing, <laughs> yeah. you know, communicating and, and sharing. And it's awesome. You know, one, one quick experience that I, you know, we were talking about before the meeting, and it, 
one night we were out there and we were talking about forgiveness and, and the declaration in the New Testament where Peter asks the Savior, how, how many times will I allow a man to, to transgress against me? Seven times? And the, and, the, and the Savior says, no, seven times 70. And, and I think that, that it isn't really about the numbers. It's about the astronomical thought that, that there's never a time when we're not expected for, to forgive. So, you know, we were having a discussion and it was very vulnerable and it was very, very, the walls, there were no walls. And one of the brothers out there, you know, raised his hand. He sits in a wheelchair and he says, I'd like to share how I feel about forgiveness. And he said, how am I supposed to forgive parents that did the things to me that I did to someone else that got me convicted and into this place? And, you know, when you hear somebody say something like that... And they're not. They've never been... They, they've, they've never, never been, been convicted, yeah. and they, yeah. according to him. And, and remember, I'm only hearing the world through his eyes. I don't, I don't know what the details are. I, it's just face value. But, but when you hear something like that, you can't walk away from there and dismiss the fact that, that this brother, even though he has a victim or many victims potentially, you can't dismiss that at one point in his life, the very thing that he did to someone else was done to him. And to me, how do you get past that? How do you, how do you forgive for that? How do you, and, and, and the reality of that is, is the only way that, that a victim or even the perpetrator can be forgiven is through the very same ingredient, which is what we all must have, and that's the atonement. And isn't it interesting that that atonement heals the victim, even though the victim had no say in the matter in many cases, didn't do anything to deserve what happened to them, the means by which they feel healed and whole before God and before the Savior is the same that that person who was, who was the perpetrator who committed the crime will receive that same forgiveness through that very same atonement. And to me, that is such an interesting concept. Wow, that's beautiful. And really, as we're getting ready to close here um, with this interview— it just goes back to regardless of what end we're on, whether we're the victim or the perpetrator. Because I think at different phases in our life, I've been both, to be honest. Not to that degree that, that we're discussing here, but... But maybe the degree, maybe I suggest that the degree doesn't matter. Because in the end, it's, it's about living like Christ lived. He wants us to be like Him in the sense that we do forgive. And I love what you said, because how many times have we been the perpetrator and how many times have we been the victim? And we can experience that on some level either way. Well, and it just it, it just goes back to I want to be forgiven and given that love and that freedom from others. And I want to feel that freedom for myself. And the only way to do that, like you said, is through that same power of the atonement. And I just, I look at where my life has led me. And I'm just grateful that, that I didn't end up in the, the life that these men have chosen and that they, that's happened to them because... I know my life has been that much harder. There's been things I've had to work really hard to kind of get up to like, quote unquote, normal, if there is such a thing. But um, I said in my victim impact statement that I'm glad that I'm the one that's standing, that can walk away from this and that can move on and have a happy life because I will and I am. And I'm going to help a lot of people and I'm going to be a voice I'm going to be an advocate for victims, but I also pity the men, especially my uncle, that don't know how to ask for this forgiveness or aren't welcoming this opportunity to be free. Because for me, 
in the very beginning of this whole process, five plus years ago when I first went to my uncle, it was even longer than that. I, I just wanted him to say, I'm sorry. And I thought for some reason that I would get that from him, and I never have. In fact, I got the very opposite of that. I got called a hypocrite. I got called unchristian. My entire character was completely persecuted, persecuted by him up until the very last minute. But at the end of the day, I love this quote by Viktor Frankl. And I've, I've probably quoted it before, but it's interesting. My son and I were just having this discussion. He's in high school. He just read this book, Man's Search for Happiness. A man's search for meaning. I'm having a brain freeze. But this quote that he says here, he was um, a victim of the Holocaust. He was a Jew, and he lost all of his family members except for one sister. But this quote that he says, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. So... As you've listened to this podcast, maybe there's some things that you've been able to relate to. Maybe you've learned something. I don't know where you're at on your journey, but regardless of where that is, you have the choice to choose happiness, to choose peace, to reach for a place of forgiveness and healing. And I'll tell you from experience, that's not an easy road. And I hope in no way that this minimized any of that for those of you who've been victims, because I know how hard it is, and how it literally changes the entire trajectory of your life. But if you can let it mold you, it can make you into a stronger person than you ever could have imagined. Because who I am today is a result of what I've gone through. And I don't say this to brag because I've had to work really, really hard to get here, but I'm a strong person. I feel close to my Savior. It's very real to me. I know that you can be healed regardless of the pain that you've experienced and you deserve to have that freedom. You deserve to have that peace. And even those men who are in prison deserve that same peace. And it's not my place to decide how that works out or how that looks. But ultimately, in my own ability to forgive and to heal, I've seen that the impossible is possible. And I'm so grateful to have this gift and this knowledge. And I'm grateful to Talon and to Chris that you're able to, to share with us, those that can't go there, I'll never have this opportunity to go and serve in the capacity that you're doing because, first of all, I'm a woman. They won't let us in there. But I, I've learned so much just from what you've shared with me, Talon, and also just sitting here today. And I hope that is the takeaway for those of you who are listening do you have any final words, Talon or Chris? You know, I, I do. I just, you know, as I hear you in the end, summarize and talk about your experiences. Um, so here, here now I sit in front of one of the victims. And not, not that I know the man, that, uh, the hand that, that did that. But, but I think that the most powerful thing that I can say is that we have to choose the atonement. Just like we choose anything in life, just like we make everything in life is really a choice. To be healed is a choice. To be able to forgive is a choice. And I think in the case of this, to choose the atonement is something we must do. It, it doesn't just happen that that we forgive. And I suspect that much of your healing comes as a result of that, the wholeness that one gets from that atonement. And I, and I think that I, I love your statement where you say even these men deserve that opportunity. You know, today in today's world, um, 
in today's society, these men are the castoffs. They're the castoffs. Um, most people probably wanted to be lined up and just, you know, gunned down perhaps. And I've even heard people say that to me. And so I, I just think it's such a wonderful thought to think that it's a choice that I can choose to, to accept the atonement and to be healed. And I love that we have that choice because if I give up that choice, I'm keeping myself in the place of being a victim. And that's not where I want to be or I want to stay. Talent, any final words and, from and you? For, forgiveness is got to be the most powerful tool an individual can use for self-healing. And the Savior or our Lord Jesus Christ knew exactly what he was doing when he offered the atonement. And by invoking the atonement, choosing forgiveness is power. Thank you. So I, I hope you found this helpful, enlightening. I, I definitely did. And I'm always available for those of you who may be in a position right now where you're trying to wade through the mire and the muck of some of this. It's I, I just want to encourage you and give you hope that no matter where you're at on this journey, that there is hope and there is light and there is peace. And you are not defined by your darkest hour, whatever that is. And just to focus on the light and the hope that the that you can find through the atoning power of our Savior. I believe that that is what has helped me get to pl- to the place that I'm at and just a lot of good old-fashioned elbow grease. It's been a process, but I am so grateful for the tools and the gifts that I've been given along the way. So thank you for tuning in, and until next time, shine on. Thanks for listening to the Let It Glow podcast. If you enjoyed this show, share the love with a friend. This podcast can be found on iTunes or subscribe on my website at www.let-it-glow.com. And remember, let go and let it glow.